Proverbs 4. Alrighty, let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for our time. And Lord, uh, as a church, we don't want to just be busy. We don't want to just fill our calendars with stuff. We really uh, do desire that everything we do as a church body would honor you and would be used by you to deepen us and grow us in our relationship with you and with one another. So I, I really just commit all the calendar events through June and uh, through the summer to you and uh, just ask you to use it to, to grow us and to uh, help us love you and uh, love each other more. And Lord, as we now open your word, I ask you once again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be the teacher, open our hearts and minds to understand what you're saying, and then ultimately that we would not just be hearers, but doers, and in the obedience to your word, that our minds would be renewed, and in the renewing of our minds, we would continue to be transformed, literally supernaturally transformed, more and more into the image of Jesus. So we commit this time to you, in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, let's read Proverbs 4.23 together. We'll just jump right into Proverbs 4.23. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We have been in this series uh, on grace really since the beginning of the year. We looked at grace vertically, this incredible God of grace. And, and what that means to approach the throne of grace, right? And then we slid into several weeks and months looking at, well, what is grace? How do we become ministers of grace to one another? We saw in Ephesians that we're to minister grace to each other, what, through our words, right? To build people up, to edify people. Many of you were challenged by the language that you speak in, in, in your social circles and work environments. Is it edifying? Lord, am I ministering grace? And that was awesome. But we, and we kept going backwards and backwards, and we learned that what comes out of our mouth really is an overflow of the condition of what? Our, our heart, right? Our heart. So we keep going back and back. We keep peeling back all these layers. And we, we've landed these last several weeks at this thing called heart. And, and Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, Christian, guard your heart for everything you say. Every area in your life, what you think, how you handle your money, how you interact, every relationship in your life really is connected to the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart. And in the, in, in the, in the Bible, the heart means your emotions, your will, everything. Everything in your life, is, the core of your essence is your heart. So if you're wondering, if you've been a believer for a while and maybe you're like, gosh, there's so much to do. June calendar is filled. What do I do? There's so much to do, right? Churches really get you busy, right? Proverbs 4.23 says what you really should do every day throughout the day is be aware of the condition of your heart. We've all had times where we get kind of moody or we get snappy or we get impatient. And, and generally we start to beat ourselves up. And, and what you should do is, Lord, what's going on in my heart in these times? Where's this coming from? And if you'll, if you'll stop and you'll, you'll, you'll give God enough time to kind of chat with you, you'll find out there's, there's heart issues going on. And so we're peeling it back and we're peeling it back to this heart. And we started with sort of the assumption that we were talking to Christians and this Christian heart. And, and the last couple of weeks, what we've done is we've kind of said, well, wait a second, maybe 
to help us understand ourselves or to understand others in the church or others that not in church this morning who call themselves Christian, maybe the Bible has something to say about helping me to understand that, that there might be people who call themselves Christians that really aren't. Because their heart has never really been renewed or what we call regenerated, you're going to see. Right? And we saw in Acts chapter 8, there was this guy named Simon the Sorcerer. guy who had some kind of supernatural abilities and, and the apostles show up. And he says, whoa, these guys really got signs and they really got power. And, he's, and, he, and he even, the Bible says he believed. He believed something. And then he got baptized. And he starts following them around and he says, hey, buddy, Peter, John, how much can I pay you for that power you have to confer the Holy Spirit? And what does Peter say? He gets in his face and says, dude, the Bible says, your heart's not right. In fact, you're full of bitterness and you're still a slave to sin. So here's Simon the sorcerer, right? And the Bible says he believed it. it. must have been something sort of mental ascent. And he was even baptized. He went through ritual and tradition. But in the end, his heart wasn't right. And the church is kind of full of, of people that, that sit, you know, there's millions of people in churches around the world on this Lord's Day. Many have been baptized, many serve, many give, and yet they're not saved because their heart, their heart's not right with the Lord, right? And Peter had preached this message and said, hey, what must I do to be saved in Acts 2, right? They say, oh man, Peter, I get who Jesus is. And he says, hey, what must, he says, what must we do? And Peter says, repent, repent, right? Which means to turn 180 degrees, which means... Your heart changes. Your heart changes. You understand your, your sinfulness. You understand who Jesus is. You make a heart change. And your body and your life reflects a repentance, a change of direction. From living for self to living for God. Right? And then turn to Matthew 7. So we saw that, you know, Simon the sorcerer was kind of like, okay, we've got to be careful that our quote-unquote Christianity isn't based on ritual and tradition. Right? And then Matthew 7, we saw some pretty, pretty challenging verses in Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Right? And, and we saw, and you, we've, we've talked about that verse in the past, and I shared with you, and I've been kind of like fired up the last few weeks because... I shared with you two weeks ago, I said, you know, my, my heart as a pastor, one who teaches the Word as much as I do, I mean, I, I don't even know how I would process anyone who faithfully came to OVCF and heard those words. I, I, when I went to OVCF, when I went to small groups, when I was in the worship team, but I, you know, and, and, and 
I was just so weighted by that, and, 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 and the Lord has just said, you have to preach the whole counsel of God. We cannot candy coat it here. We cannot just give you all the fun, good stuff. Because Jesus said, look at verse, what's the first, verse, first word in verse 22? What's it say? Many. And that's a gut check. Not just for me and a pastor and speaking at you, but honestly for me. Lord, where am I with you? Because truth be known, there are a lot of pastors who are not saved. You can go to seminary. You can learn how to teach this. Right, Robert? You've been a pastor. You can study this just like an academic subject. I could even be a better teacher in some ways because I'd be real academic on you and all this kind of stuff. There are many, there's potentially many pastors today preaching. But Jesus said, I I never knew you. And so it's been a gut check and I got a really good email from someone this week and just really kind of a word of encouragement. It says, you know, I know this has been hard to teach. It's not the fun stuff, but I just want to encourage you. I've been in church for a long time and your messages the last few Sundays have really challenged me in a good way. This is a long-term believer who has been challenged in a very good way to examine their heart. 2 Corinthians. Apostle Paul says, examine your hearts to see whether you're in the faith. Whether you're in the faith, right? And that's, that's where we've been. That's where we've been examining our hearts. Lord, where is our heart, right? And if you see in your, in your notes there, look on uh, one side of it. Last Sunday... I asked Mike, Mike, Glennon, if, you're, if you were to die today and you were standing in front of the pearly gates and they asked you, why should we let you in, right? Mike, what did you say last Sunday? Okay, it's through Jesus, right? Our basis of getting into those pearly gates, right? And that's not biblical, but it's just hypothetical because you hear that a lot, right? Why should we let you in? Is Jesus. Not because I prayed a prayer. Many of you are familiar with the sinner's prayer, right? And if you look in your notes, last Sunday we spent quite a bit of time walking through this fairly recent development, right? It says in the 1700s, 1900s, there was a thing called the mourner's bench when they had these big camp meetings in Kentucky, and they tried to bring some sort of organization. So they would invite sinners to this bench that was right in front of the pastor or preacher, right? And then Charles Finney called it the anxious seat, where he said, okay, we want all the really bad sinners to sit in the front row. Okay, right there, okay. And, and, and judgment is looming over you during this sermon, right? So that's the anxious seat, because, you know, they were anxious about their sinfulness and where they stood before God and, and all of that, right? And then Dwight Moody said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to incorporate the inquiry, inquiry room. And he said, I'm not going to do this altar call. I'm not going to you know, do this sort of in front. What, he, what Dwight Moody said was, you know what? I have preached God's word. If God is stirring your heart and you want to know more about your relationship with God and where you stand, meet me in the fellowship hall for further counsel and prayer. That was the inquiry room, right? And then uh, Billy Sunday developed these large gatherings that were designed with altar call and invitation, right? Billy Graham kind of almost like perfected the whole crusade uh, methodology of, you know what, preach the word, invite him with music playing to what we call an altar call, right? 
come forward, right? Come just as you are or just as I am without one plea, right? All of that kind of stuff, right? So that was, he kind of uh, really took that to the next level. And then a guy named Bill Bright developed what's called the four spiritual laws, right? The little bulletin, the little tracks, walks you through the four spiritual laws. And at the end of that, he became very well known as you recite the what? The sinner's prayer, right? I shared with you last week, really challenging for me because 20 plus years ago I was in a ministry and we rented out the San Diego Sports Arena. We had 12,000 kids come, high schoolers. Pastor gave an altar call. I was in charge of the counselors. And Lord, how do we know if they're genuine believers? How do we know their real reason for coming forward? And the truth is, at a human level, you can't know because only God knows the heart. God tests the heart. Now, is there anything necessarily wrong with altar calls? No. Anything necessarily wrong with invitations? No. Anything necessarily wrong with saying a prayer that reflects your heart condition before Jesus? No. What is the problem and what is scary and what is unnerving for me is when someone comes forward, fills out a camp card or an altar call card, puts it in their back pocket and says, I got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. And if someone were to ask them, are you a Christian? And they said, yes. And I asked why they would say, because I said a prayer. You see the difference? It's really scary because there are many people who said a prayer, but their heart was never changed. And the basis of their belief that they're going to heaven is that they did something. Not that they gave their heart in in, in terms of believing completely on Jesus as Savior and Lord, but they prayed a prayer and got a card. And and, and it's kind of interesting because I think in many ways this this is an explanation of what we see in the church. Because the people tend to define born-againers Right? How many of the phrase born again? Many people will define being born again as having said a prayer. Having said, oh yeah, I said a prayer. I'm a born again Christian. I said a prayer. Right? And then you read statistics like this. It says like this. Uh, because based on that definition of a born againer, basically someone who says all the right things is now considered born again, according to Gallup and Barna type of thing, right? So... Based on that definition, very broad definition of what you say, they came out with this statistic that 35 to 43% of the U.S. population claims to be born again. That's a lot of people claiming to be born again, right? It says, and then I have this quote, At first glance, those numbers might cause us to rejoice. But as evangelical theologian Michael Horton laments, Gallup and Barna hand us survey after survey demonstrating that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. How is that? How can 35 to 43% of the population claim to be born again, and yet as a whole, people filling churches today, our lives don't reflect anything much different than those who just want nothing to do with Jesus. What's the disconnect? Well, the disconnect is heart. 
From a young age, we learn to say all the right things. We learn to recite it. Nothing wrong with learning Bible verses. Nothing wrong with all of that. Unless it stays here and never gets here. See, if, you, if, if you're going to live for Jesus, quite honestly, if you're going to be that what Bill taught about, if you're going to be bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it begins in your heart. It begins in your heart. And we're going to look at that today and into next week. Because, guys, this is, this is it. This, this, is, this is the core. For us, but also if any of you ever wanted to share your faith with someone, what would you say to somebody if they asked you, how do I become a Christian? What would you say? What would you do? Tina, you go to that OBCF place, yeah? You a Christian, Tina? How do I become one of those? You don't have to answer that part. All right? How do I become a Christian? What would you say? I want to help you because we're going to look at what Jesus said. So turn to, turn to John 3. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus has this conversation. Very familiar if you've been in church, right? The guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. So one of the religious leaders who were dedicated to observing every detail of the law, right? He's also a member of the Sanhedrin, which put a, he's like the Supreme Court of the Jews. There's about 70 of them. Consider it like the Supreme Court, right? In John 3, verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, okay, Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him, right? Look back at verse 23 of the previous chapter. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name, right? So Nicodemus, somehow or another, got word or he saw Jesus doing these signs in, in Jerusalem. He comes to Jesus at night. Now, get this. He's a religious leader, so he, he knows the word. And our sense here is that Nicodemus was pretty sincere. He really wanted to know. I, I, I read this and I've studied it and he's like a good guy. Like us, here. Many of you. You're good people. You're good people. You know the Bible. You know, you're good moral people. You desire to honor God. But you come to Jesus. Imagine you're Nicodemus and you're coming to Jesus at night. So Jesus, I see all this stuff you're doing. It's pretty cool. And we, we believe, you know, God's with you. God's in this thing, right? And then, right? And I love Jesus. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Right? Imagine Nicodemus. Knows the law. Dedicated his life to, to observing it faithfully. So he's probably going, I'm going to go talk with this Jesus guy. And we're going to get into some deep theology and doctrine. I bet, I, we're just going to talk and we're going to go back and forth. And we're going to talk starting the Old Testament. And I just want to ask him all these questions. Let's get deep. Let's get really deep, Jesus. Right? Let's talk real doctrinal, theological stuff. And I love what Jesus, straight up, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What? Nicodemus, you know, he just gets flipped on his head. What are you talking about? Right? I, I don't get this, Jesus. 
I'm, I'm not getting it, right? Because Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart, and he just cuts right to the chase. I love Jesus. Sometimes he just goes, Pshew. all right, Nick. And now we're not going to go dance around the theology and doctrine. I'm just going to cut to the heart, buddy. I'm just going to help you out. And then look at verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born, right? So Nicodemus, as smart as he is religiously, he's just clueless with what Jesus is saying. He's just spun around and he's like, what are you talking about? And he only understands it, right? Talk about being spiritually blind. He just understands it in some weird physical sense. What are you talking about? Dude, that's just weird. How is that even possible, Jesus? Right? So Nicodemus right away is struggling. He's just like, wah. Okay, okay, help me out here. And then Jesus, he doesn't let him off the hook. Jesus just keeps right going. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be what? Born again. Born again. That's where we, this, is, this is the famous passage, right? So here's Nicodemus, a good guy, a religious guy, dedicated his life to wanting to follow the law. And Jesus says, hey, Nick, has nothing to do with all your externals and all your religiosity and all your traditions and all your laws. It has to do with your heart, buddy. You've got to be born again. And this, honestly, is, is, I love this passage because as I was, I was praying about it, I was like, Lord, this passage, if we'll take the time in comfortable America, in comfortable Christian America, Nicodemus is us. See, the hardest part I've learned in, in ministry over the last 20 years is to try to share slash convince a comfortable American person that they're a sinner. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm not a bad person. I give to charity. I go to church once in a while. What do you mean I'm a sinner? See, if you've ever struggled with this in yourself, like, whoa, I don't like this whole I'll have sinned. I'm not as bad as the people in jail, and I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? I'm not as bad as. Then you're struggling just like Nicodemus would have been. He's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? I've dedicated my life to God. I've dedicated my life to the law. I know it inside and out. And now you're telling me it's not good enough? That's exactly what he's saying. Nicodemus is reeling because everything he knew, everything he thought, every, all his beliefs about God and, and his self-image was just, just completely torn away. And for some of us, I say this in love, you've got to receive what God's Word says about your spiritual condition. You, gotta, you just got to believe that. You just got to receive that. And when you do, you're going to say, oh yeah, you're right, I do need to be born again. I really do. Because Ephesians 2.1, we won't turn there. Uh, let me just read it. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2.1 says, you know what, without the Lord, we're dead. We're spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead. Right? Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as a Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Why? Because they have hardened hearts. That's us. Romans three twenty three, very familiar verse. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
see the starting point of understanding what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus is he's peeling away everything that Nicodemus would be holding on to to justify how good he was and how moral he was and how religious he was and why he somewhat, sort of, in some way, shape, or form deserved to go to heaven. Do you guys understand what's happening here? Say, hey, Nick, you got to be born again, buddy. you got to be born again. And so the question, you know, I asked earlier, Tina, if someone were to ask you, how do I become a Christian? You know what a great answer would be? <laughs> you must be what? Born again. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to look at you just like Nicodemus looked at Jesus. They're going to get confused. They're going to say, like, what are you talking about? And you say, okay, well, let me explain that to you. It's as simple as that, guys. Sometimes when we talk about sharing our faith, we think, oh, I've got to prove Jesus is God. I've got to prove this, and I've got to have every cult answer, and I've got to have every, I've got to know revelation. I've got to know create. No. If someone asks you, how do I become a Christian? Just say, well, Jesus said you must be born again. And then the conversation will go where it's going to go. Amen? That's, you must be born again. So here's the question, guys. Are you? Are you? How do you know? Don't take as Pastor Richie said, right? How do you know? Should be a new creation, right? We're going to talk broad and we're going to look at this in depth next next Sunday, right? Because of time. Are you born again? Right, Mike, if, if you're the, standing at the pearly gates and they say, why should, you, why should we let you in? You know what you should just say? I'm born again. I'm born again. See, how many of you have ever, because I know you're like pretty much all good moral people. How many of you have ever struggled with the phrase, I don't have a testimony? Anyone? You feel like you don't have a testimony because you hear teen challenge testimonies and you hear really life altering. How many of you have ever honestly thought you don't have a testimony? Okay, we're gonna. Maybe the application for us this morning is you do. Because at one time in your life you were spiritually what, according to Ephesians, dead, and now you have been born again. That's a testimony. One time you were spiritually dead. Didn't want anything to do with God. Living for yourself. Even a very good moral person. But then you understood who Jesus was. You trust Him completely. And the Bible says you are now born again. Okay, that's like, for me that's a woohoo moment. I don't know about you, but I'm like a woohoo moment with that. That's radical. Because there's this big word called regeneration. Everyone say Regeneration. Right? Look, in, look in, I, I gave you the definition there on the back. It's a new birth, a new beginning. Regeneration then may be defined as an act of God, whereby He bestows upon the believing sinner new life. This life is God's own life, the imparting of His own nature. We have got to just dispel once and for all the idea that being a Christian is reforming my life. That being a Christian is making my life better than it was. That, that's just not even it. That's sliding right back into religiosity. 
If you say that, if you claim this morning, if I claim that we are born again, that means that at a certain time in my life, God said, boom, here's a new nature, here's a new heart, here's the Holy Spirit indwelling you, I'm not reforming you, you're brand spanking new. Thank you. Oh, I'm just a Christian with no testimony. I've always been a good person. And then I met Jesus and I do my best, but I sin once in a while. And I guess I'm just going to struggle until the Lord takes me home. Want to be a Christian too? Who would want to sign up for that? How about the Bible says I was spiritually dead, separated, on my way to hell because of sin. But by God's grace, through faith in Jesus alone, I am born again. He gave me a new heart. He implanted me a new nature. And I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, whether you like it or not. Amen? That's who we are. This phrase, born again. Don't, don't make it a cliche. It's so cliche. And almost like embarrassing to say, oh yeah, I'm a born again. No, biblically, if you're a believer on Jesus Christ, you have been born again. You have a new heart. And we're going to look at this. The whole basis of this whole heart study, and we're going to talk about the new covenant and what that all means. You have been given a new heart. The heart that you're supposed to guard isn't your old one. Oh, really? But Mike in the back says, I I thought I was just supposed to... Fix my bad attitude and fix it and make it better. No, Mike. God gave you a new heart. And He wants you to guard this and nurture this one. Which one do you want, Mike? Right? Right? Oh, no, Jesus. You just keep yours. I'm just going to work on the old one. If you've been born again, you have been regenerated supernaturally. That's what He's talking about, the wind. Right? You see the wind. You know, we live in no high windy days. You're like, I don't see the wind. I see the trees moving. His point in saying that to Nicodemus was, Nick, this is supernatural, buddy. You're not going to figure it out in your own finite thinking. This is a supernatural work of God. And, and this is kind of where we're at as a church. And just kind of I'm sharing my heart with you guys. As we move forward through this whole series, We are never going to minimize or forget or put to the side the supernatural work of God that regenerates us and, quite frankly, is the reason we're even here today. Amen? We are here because we've all, if you put your faith in Jesus, we are are united as the body of Christ because we all have been regenerated. I don't care how old you are. Ernie, I don't know how old you are, but you know, you, you could be regenerated. We tend to think of this as a young... No! Isn't that awesome? And then you wake up in the morning. Oh, thank you, Lord, for another day of life, of walking in newness of life. Now you get all these verses you've heard. Why? Because you're walking as someone who's been born again. You have a new heart. You have a new nature. You have a new power source. The Holy Spirit... Just walk in that. Can we just do that? And we're going to look at this passage in in depth and this whole idea of regeneration and supernatural rebirth. Because here's the deal, guys. You either believe it or you don't. There's no gray. 
Okay? Our, our culture likes gray. Let me just tell you right now. You're either born again or you're not. And if you are, celebrate it. Celebrate it. Every day. You know, I, I had a chance to speak to some students at the School of Evangelism on Tuesday. And the, the title of this series, they were bringing guest speakers, so the title of the series was A Life Worth Living. And he wanted me to, my friend wanted me to come and share what I've learned over 20 years of ministry and walking with Jesus. And you know what I said? I said, okay, guys, I know the, um, the series is A Life Worth Living and you're here to hear my story, but let me share this with you. If you want to have a life worth living, walk with Jesus every day. And when you walk with Jesus every day, one moment of the day, you know what's going to happen? 20 years, years down the road, you'll look back and go, man, I had a life worth living. It's one day at a time, one moment at a time, walking in newness of life and the power of the Holy Spirit, letting God transform you. And then you put your head down at the end of the day on your pillow and say, Lord, man, this is a life worth living. This is awesome. Not perfect. But awesome. Amen? That's where we're going. Okay, so next week we're going to look at John 3 a little bit more. So the basis of why we know our eternal destiny is that we've been born again. Isn't that awesome? Born again through faith in Jesus. All right? Let's pray and Billy can take us into communion. Lord, thank you for our time again and for reminding us this morning. We are born again. That is our testimony. We were spiritually dead. Through faith in Jesus, we are spiritually alive. Born again. Regenerated. We're not reforming ourselves. We are brand new. And that's the joy of our faith. And it's all because of faith in you, Jesus. So as we prepare for communion now, bring us all the way back to the cross. And my prayer for those who perhaps have been in church but never born again, that today perhaps they would be your faith in Jesus.